Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. We're going to be continuing in Mark chapter 3 today, verses 7 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, and they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And then he went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I'm going to go ahead and pray for uh, our lead pastor, Billy Glosson, as he preaches the word for us this morning. Lord, this is, um, this is a challenging passage for my heart as I consider the ways that you gave of yourself, um, not only to the people who needed you physically and spiritually, but how you poured yourself into these 12 men. Um, and it is not lost on me how different they were, especially as I read and, and speak with, with people who are more familiar with this passage than I and who are better versed in the scriptures, Lord. I pray that this challenge that comes from this verse would, would go out to all of us today, that we would have minds and hearts that are ready to hear and ready to accept. But also, Lord, I, fi- I pray that we would find comfort in knowing this, that these people who you called were not perfect. They were not, um, they were not always eloquent. They were not always, um, they were not always uh, without sin. But, Lord, you saw something in them, and that something was that, you could make something great out of them. I pray that we would consider the fact that we are that we are messengers and that we are instruments of your kingdom who are going forth and making your name known. I pray that we would remember that and that we would find comfort in that. I pray that you would give Billy uh, clarity of, of speech and of mind. Lord, I just pray that you would give him wisdom as he speaks to us this morning, and I pray that the Spirit would convict all of us, even him. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So something that some of you guys may not know about me, or maybe you do if you talk to me for more than five minutes, is that I have ADD, right? Legit, like, I have ADD pretty, pretty intensely. When I was a kid, it was something uh, that I struggled with. I have really struggled and battled for as long as I can remember to focus something that's affected me a lot. But as a kid, you know, there was a lot of meeting with doctors and uh, playing with toys and people watching me play with toys and, like, kind of interacting. Some of you guys do that for a living, so you know what that's like. Um, So 
that was hard for me, right? I, I was always struggling to focus, and it wasn't uh, until I made a considerable effort in college that I started to actually improve. And that was actually after I had to sit out a semester because I was on academic probation. How you doing? Let's get real here. Yeah, that's right. I just didn't try. I couldn't focus. And so I thought, well, college isn't for me. And it wasn't until that moment where I had that realization of like, oh, I really have got to like work twice as hard to like get this stuff done. Um, it takes a considerable amount of self-control for me to write papers um, that, that actually makes sense, right? Because my stream of consciousness is several half ideas. So it affects my marriage, right? Like Hannah can tell you really funny stories about how I do three things at one time, sort of kind of halfway. So for example, just this week, I was starting to help Hannah make breakfast. And then I stopped to turn the hot water on to make my coffee. Then I sat down and started writing the date in my journal to read and pray. I started three different things and finished none of them. That's how I roll, right? And so the fact that I'm somehow able to get a sermon out every week is nothing short of the grace of God because I get derailed so easily, right? You know, like I, I get, I'll start reading a passage and I'll see something on like Jewish cultures and customs and I'm like, huh? And then I'll start reading more into that. And then I'll start like Googling stuff and go on Wikipedia trails. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with the sermon. What am I doing? I can go down deep, deep rabbit holes. I lose focus. That's why when I look at Jesus, I'm blown away because Jesus never loses focus. Jesus never loses focus. He is always about his father's business. Jesus continues steadfast in advancing the kingdom of God. That's what I want us to see this morning as we look at this passage, that Jesus advances the kingdom through discipleship. Jesus advances the kingdom through discipleship. Now we're going to walk through this passage, and as we do, I want you to see the kingdom focus of Jesus. Right? We've just gone through all of these different controversies, and we see what Jesus is, is doing. He's interacting with the Pharisees. Right? Last week, we saw the man with the withered hand, and we saw this interaction. So what does Jesus do now? He marches on. He marches on. On. His face is set on the, uh, on the purposes for which he has come, which is namely our salvation. Our salvation. So the first thing we see as we look at Jesus is kingdom focus. Kingdom focus. Look back at the passage with me. Look at verse 9. And he, Jesus, told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Jesus had just confronted the, the Pharisees regarding the man with a withered hand. And now Jesus goes forward with a determination to take the kingdom forward, to take the kingdom and advance it. So let's see what, what I want us to really focus here is on kingdom focus, kingdom focus. The first thing is this, kingdom focus remembers the mission. 
Kingdom focus remembers the mission. As Jesus goes out, the streets are flooded with droves of people coming to Jesus. They've heard stories of this young rabbi, and they have hope that maybe, maybe this Jesus can heal them. And Jesus, he sees the throngs of people, and he has compassion. He heals the sick, he casts out demons, but his determination is set towards the sea. Why? Why is Jesus focused on getting on a ship? Two reasons. First, because Jesus would often use the boat as a makeshift pulpit to proclaim the kingdom come. He needed to be about his father's business, and that meant calling others to prepare because the king had come. And the second reason was because he knew he couldn't just set up camp in Capernaum and stay there. He had to travel. The mission had to advance. It was time to go forward. It was time to seek out new terrain for the kingdom. So again, kingdom focus remembers the mission. Okay, that's important. I want you to keep that in your brain. Kingdom focus remembers the mission. Because here's the next thing. Look at verses 11 and 12. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Here's the second thing, right? So the first thing is kingdom focus remembers the mission. The second part of this is that kingdom focus knows its enemy. Kingdom focus knows its enemy. Now we talked about this several weeks ago, but the idea behind a spirit trying to call Jesus out was to try and have power over him. Right? These aren't just spirits like falling down in worship. These are spirits who are trying to dupe Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want his identity to be revealed just yet. That's going to come in power at his resurrection. And so what does Jesus do? He showcases his authority and he silences these evil spirits. Again, the demonic forces are in full effect against Jesus. They are doing everything that they can to derail his ministry, to derail Jesus's focus. But Jesus won't lose focus. Jesus won't be beaten. Why? Because he is the snake-crushing king. He has come to advance the kingdom, to bash in the gates of hell, and establish his church, bringing glory to the Father. Now here is why that is so important. Because Jesus knows his enemy, right? We just saw there are all these controversies, right, with the Pharisees. Why is it Jesus now convening with his followers to plot and plan on how they're going to avoid the Pharisees' plan, right? He's saying, hey, look, guys, I know the Pharisees' heart. They're, they're seeking my destruction. They're trying to derail my ministry. Everywhere I turn, they're trying to set me up and dupe them. How can we, why, why does Jesus not do that? Because Jesus is focused he is focused. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians 6? This is what he says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Hear this. This is super important. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus knows his real enemy. Do we? This week I have been absolutely devastated. I have seen division and derision arise more than I've seen in the last four years, if that's possible. Specifically, my heart has been broken as Christians call out Christians and mock 
mock their political opponents. Now, I'm saddened when Christians war against one another because Jesus said we would be known by this that we have love for one another. And I'm saddened when Christians expect unbelievers to have the same values as them. Did you catch that? I am deeply saddened when I see Christians, people who bear the name of Christ, expect unbelievers People who say who do not want anything to do with Jesus to have the same values as them. How can we forget what the scriptures say? Outside of Jesus, we are dead in our sin. That's what Ephesians 2 says. We are blinded by darkness and brokenness. Now, I've used this analogy before, but I think it's especially pertinent now. If you were to ride a bus... Okay, and I know that's hard to imagine in our COVID world, but let's say your car breaks down and you decide to utilize the Greenway buses. You hop on and you grab a seat. You're headed to Walmart. You got some groceries to pick up. You got to do what you got to do. So you're going. Next thing you know, a blind man is getting on. And as he does, he trips, he fumbles, and he spills coffee all over you. Now, what would you do? Would you start screaming at him? Would you become belligerent and say, hey, watch where you're going? Of course not. You know it wasn't intentional because he is blind. That's how we sound when we scream at the blind instead of leading them to the one who gives sight. Coram Deo, remember your enemy. It's not your brother. It's not the unbeliever. It's the enemy who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. Ephesians 6 tells us to suit up, to wear the armor of God that we cannot forget our enemy. Because if we do, we will be torn apart by the deception of the enemy. Now listen, I'm not saying you can't disagree. In fact, right, it's important that we do and that we have conversations and that we lead each other to understanding. I'm not saying you can't have opinions. I'm not saying that you shouldn't participate in politics. What I am saying is that all of those things bend a knee to King Jesus. If your heart has been, I need to be right, and it hasn't been, I want to bring glory to God, then friend, you must repent. If our hearts have been cold and callous, would we we repent and ask God to give us kingdom-focused eyes? That we would know what our ultimate goal is. Right? The ultimate goal of the church isn't to let freedom ring in America. Let me say that. The ultimate goal is this, that nations rise and fall, but Jesus Christ reigns forever. The goal of the church is the glory of God, period. We aren't in the partisanship business. We're in the discipleship business. And that brings me to my second point. Jesus calls these men up to the disciples, right? Look at verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he named apostles, that is sent ones, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach, to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the 12, Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James, the sons of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphas, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus heads up the mountain, and he calls 12 disciples. 
And this is no doubt a call back to the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is ushering in a new covenant, the kingdom of God. And how does he do it? He does it by calling a ragtag band of disciples. Now, before I go specifically into Jesus's call and how it applies to us, we have to acknowledge this group of 12 men. What strikes me the most about this group of 12 men, especially in our politically volatile climate, there are two names that stick out to me. Matthew and Simon the Zealot. Matthew and Simon the Zealot. One man, Matthew, we've already talked about. Right? Matthew had betrayed his family. He had betrayed his culture to work for the corrupt, overbearing government that they despised, that the nation of Israel despised. His old friends now counted him amongst thieves and murderers. They even refused to worship with him. And then, on the other side, there's Simon the Zealot, who was part of an anti-government movement, the Zealots. This was an occasionally militant group that aspired to wage war against the government and return to the glory days when their culture and their religion ruled. Now, these two men had very little in common. And in fact, they should have been enemies. But they decided to lay aside their past, to put down their politics, to work together to be at the feet of Jesus. Now, this story sounds naive, fairy tales, unrealistic. Right? In today's divisive world, everything is divided into camps, red and blue, black and white. Friends, let me just put it in perspective. This is like seeing a Black Lives Matter protester and a Trump supporter hanging out together and saying, let's love Jesus. Everybody would watch that and say, something's wrong. Someone gave them something. That's weird, right? It's, it should shock you. It should be scandalous. We can't even imagine a scenario in which two people this different could find a way to work together. Matthew and Simon could not have been more different. Right in his old career, Matthew worked as a well-paying tax collector. He had a well-paying job and he was working for the Roman government and his Jewish peers despised him. And yet, here's Simon the Zealot, a Jewish nationalist who strongly upheld Jewish traditions and Jewish culture. Matthew had worked for the government and Simon wanted to burn it down. But Jesus called both of them, along with ten other unqualified men. And for the better part of three years, they spent every day beside each other. Together, they learned at Jesus' feet. Together, they huddled in a crowded fishing boat as Jesus calmed stormy seas. Together, they watched Jesus cure lepers and give sight to the blind and cast out demons and raise the dead. Together, they heard Jesus teach with life-changing power and authority. Together, They saw him unjustly arrested, tried, beaten to a pulp, and nailed to a cross. And together, they witnessed him rise from the grave, nail-scarred hands and all. And today, we need to be reminded of Matthew and Simon's story. Our nation, our community, is bitterly divided. And in this divided world, we will be tempted to make our politics. Maybe you're not political, so maybe it's just your opinions. We take those things and we make them ultimate. And if we want to make our our politics or our preferences the standards by which we judge everything and everyone, we are losing focus. 
Because Jesus' mission is far too important for such division. Now listen, we all have political past, right? We all have our own preferences. We all have our own opinions formed at the intersection of our personal convictions and our life experiences. I'm not trying to cheapen those, right? Those are deeply important. But we need to think critically and we need to pray fervently about the positions that we advocate and the, 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 the positions that we, we stand so firm on that we're willing to be divided. Like Matthew and Simon, the Jesus we have in common must be more important than politics, than preferences, than opinions that seek to divide us. The word he gave us must be more valuable than any platform. The mission he gave us must take precedence over any agenda. And the unity to which he called us must supersede any any petty political differences we may have. A divided country needs a united church. And for far too long, we have been divided. Now listen, I'm writing this and I'm thinking through this this week and I'm like, man, this is a touchy thing. I'm getting into some stuff. I'm just ruffling some feathers. 2020 is a hard year. Do I really want to risk it? Do I want to, do I want to get into this? Let me just say this definitively. I will risk every part of my life to see this church united in the proclamation of the gospel and to see the kingdom advance. Come what may, that is my life's goal. is to see the kingdom of God advance and to see the gospel heralded. Jesus has called us to be his disciples. Look at this call. Verse 14. And he appointed 12 whom he also named the apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. There are three aspects of discipleship here for us. To be with him. That is to have a relationship with Jesus. To preach. That is to proclaim the message of Jesus. Jesus to drive out demons and that is to exercise the authority of Jesus. I want to look at these briefly. First, to be with him. To be with him, to have a relationship with Jesus. When Jesus calls someone to discipleship, he is calling that person to himself, to belong to him, to follow him and to learn from him and of him. Friends, let me, let me say this definitively. Jen said this to the kids, so let me say it to you. Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you. He has called you. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to experience in community His grace, His mercy, as you walk along in His disciple band. He is calling you to an intimate, life-giving relationship where you are in community, learning, growing, serving, and worshiping together, walking with Jesus. Next, we see the call to proclaim the message of Jesus. To proclaim the message of Jesus. Now, I love that because when we see preach, people are like, that's your job. I don't want to do that. No, it, 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 maybe you're not called to stand behind a pulpit and preach, but you are called to proclaim the message of Jesus. See, when we come to Jesus, he gives us a mission. 
We are to go into the world and make disciples. And as we carry out that mission, Jesus is with us. Again, we have a kingdom agenda. We are carrying his mission forward. We are going forward with the hope and the truth and the gospel of Jesus making disciples. And finally, we exercise the authority of Jesus. We exercise the authority of Jesus. How can you exercise the authority of Jesus in your life? Well, let me ask you this. Where have you heard the lies of the enemy? Where have you heard the creeping voice of anxiety? Are you proclaiming the authority of King Jesus in your life? Look back at those moments where your flesh has taken authority over you. You've blown up on someone, or maybe you've given up in defeat. Maybe you're up at three in the morning, checking your phone, refreshing it because you can't sleep because you're not exercising the authority of Jesus in your life. We have relationship. We proclaim the message of, and we exercise the authority of Jesus. So Jesus calls this ragtag group of 12 men to follow him on his ministry. These men would be with him for three years, undergoing preparations to be his apostles, that is, his sent ones. One day, they would be sent, and as they went, the world would be turned upside down. We all know the story. Wavering, inconsistent Simon becomes Peter the Rock. John and James, they become the sons of thunder, dynamic apostles. Anonymous, average Andrew becomes the patron saint of three nations. Thomas, Thomas the doubter, becomes a man of tenacious faith. Simon, the radical, subversive zealot, becomes a man truly zealous for God. Loathsome Levi becomes Matthew, one of the writers of the gospel of the Son of Man. The kingdom marches on. This morning, would you be comforted by the news that Jesus Christ is King? Would you repent of the ways that you have lost focus, that you have stirred disunity in your own heart? Would you bring all your anxieties, all of your fear, all of your worries, all of your woes, and would you lay them at the feet of Jesus? If you come this morning with loads of emotions and concerns because of the state of our world, I want you to know that Jesus welcomes you to come as you are. It's not a sin to be emotional. It's not a sin to respond to. Again, if we look at Psalms, that's what the Psalms are. It's understandable. But the invitation of Jesus is this. It's one of rest. It's one of real and lasting hope. If you've come with strife in your heart, if you've come with misguided focus, I would invite you to refocus your gaze on Jesus. Our God is like a father whose son took him for granted, said it would be better if you were dead so that I could have your inheritance. That son then goes and squanders it all. And when he comes back to his father in shame, that father doesn't look at him and shake his head. That father hikes up his robe and runs to his son. 
Jesus died in our place for our sins. He rose again, conquering Satan's sin and death. And he calls us to advance the kingdom. Would we repent of our unbelief? Would we lay our fears at the feet of Jesus? Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that we have this hope and that we know this truth. That because of the kingdom of God, Lord, we can have hope. We can have peace. We can have stillness. When the world is upside down, we can fight for unity. We can fight to advance the kingdom of God. We can fight to have peace in our hearts. Rather than hear the lies of the enemy, we can say, no, I know who Jesus is, that he has authority in my life, that the kingdom of God advances, that he is the great king of the ages. God, you call us to rest and to go forward, to not lose focus, to know our mission, to know who our real enemy is, to seek to make disciples. Would we do those things, Lord? Would we honor you, God, in all we do and all we say? It's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.